Hi everyone, welcome to Oscar Wilde After Dark, a bonus series where we discuss the wilder side of Oscar nominees and winners. I'm Nick Rookrout. And I'm Sophia Simonello. And today we have a fun holiday-themed episode, one of my favorite times of the year of movie watching, and we will be discussing How the Grinch Stole Christmas and The Family Stone. Two movies for me that I have been watching every year for at least the past few years, but they are staples in my holiday movie watching. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about these movies today. I think that distinction of whether or not you watch a movie every year, I think will come up throughout this conversation because these are movies that I do not watch every year. So How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the 2000 version I hadn't seen since I was seven years old and rewatched it for the first time yesterday. Oh my God. But the original Grinch, the animated TV special from the 60s is a staple. I watch it every single year. It is part of my family's holiday tradition. And The Family Stone, I also have complicated opinions about. So I'm excited to talk about that. I mean, you know, I'm a huge Diane Keaton fan, but Mm -hmm. that movie is not... a a staple of mine but yeah it's it's a tough one for me oh my god see i thought you liked the family stone so that this topic was going to be easy for at least one of the movies (laughs) but i didn't know you were conflicted on both of them this is kind of fun for me now i get to tease you yeah yeah i know usually it's the opposite so it's i'm not going to be a downer though i think specifically in the family stone like there are things that i enjoy about it diane keaton in particular But it's, yeah, it's an odd movie that, I mean, there there are reasons why it's it's been kind of on the fringes, I would say, for me, and isn't one of my rewatches like The Holiday, for instance, and even Mm -hmm. Love Actually, which I think there are certain moments in that film that make absolutely zero sense to me, but I still rewatch it every year. Oh my god, see, I thought you hated (laughs) Love Actually, so taking that off the episode was going to, like, bring you relief. No. (laughs) We'll get into it. We will we'll save those. Well, yeah, let's get started with How the Grinch Stole Christmas and specifically the 2000 version because that was the one that was the Oscar winner, not the 66 TV special. I'm assuming because it was on TV, I'm kind of really shocked that it couldn't have been nominated because I feel like it should have won. Mm-hmm. I agree. So with the 2000 version, the description, they're all the same. But on the outskirts of Whoville lives a green, revenge-seeking Grinch who plans to ruin Christmas for all of the citizens of the town. So it's directed by Ron Howard. It stars Jim Carrey, Taylor Momsen, Kelly the dog, Molly Shannon, Christine Baranski, and more. Awards for this movie it won one Oscar for makeup and was nominated for a costume design and art direction set decoration. And then for some other ceremonies that won Makeup Hair at the BAFTAs, Jim Carrey was nominated at the Golden Globes for Actor, Comedy, or Musical. This won at the Costume Designers Guild for Period Fantasy Film. It won at the Makeup Artist and Hairstylist Guild for Special Makeup Effects and Innovative Hairstyling. So those are two different awards. So this has like the trifecta of all of the fun awards. <laughs> I laughed so which hard. Has never <laughs> happened before. <laughs> all of our favorite awards. <laughs> Not exactly the movie I expected, but I think it makes sense. So at the Kids' Choice Awards, it won Favorite Movie, which is their top award, and Carrie won Favorite Movie Actor. At the MTV Movie and TV Awards, Carrie won Best Villain. 
at the Teen Choice Awards Carry One Choice Hissy Fit. This had two Rousey nominations <laughs> for Worst Remake or Sequel and Worst Screenplay. It was also nominated at the Art Directors Guild for Period or Fantasy Film. And then at the Academy of Science Fiction Fantasy Horror Films, it won for Makeup and Music, composed by James Horner. And it had seven other nominations. So then, also in After Dark, we list all of the Oscar connections for the movie, and there are quite a few, mostly because of the makeup team, and that makes sense because it won the Oscar, and their work in transforming Jim Carrey, I never see Jim Carrey when I do this role. I hear the voice, but I don't really see him, so I think that is testament to their work on the film, but all of the Oscar connections, starting with Ron Howard, who won two Oscars for Picture and Director for A Beautiful Mind was nominated for the same two awards for Frost Nixon. Rick Baker and Gail Rowell Ryan were the winners of the makeup award. So Rick was the special makeup effects artist, and he won six other Oscars for makeup with An American Werewolf in London, Harry the Hendersons, Ed Wood, The Nutty Professor, Men in Black, and The Wolfman, and was also nominated for five others. Gail was the key hairstylist, and this was her only Oscar she won and was nominated for. Michael Korenblythe was the art director, and Meredith Boswell was the set decorator. They were both nominated for art direction, set decoration, and they were both also nominated for Apollo 13. The producer, Brian Grazer, won for Picture for A Beautiful Mind and was nominated for two others for Picture and one for Original Screenplay. James Horner won two Oscars for Original Score and Song for My Heart Will Go On for Titanic and was nominated for eight others. Donald Peterman, the cinematographer, was nominated for two Oscars. Dan Hanley and Mike Hill are co-editors and they both won one Oscar for Apollo 13 and were nominated for three others, both together. And then we had quite a few makeup artists that were previously nominated, so I just wanted to list their names and the movies they worked on because I think the list of movies they've worked on are just incredibly diverse and a little chaotic, (laughs) listing them together. So Lance Anderson was nominated for Cinderella Man. Kate Bisco won for Vice. John Blake was nominated for Hoffa. Barney Berman won for Star Trek. Bill Corso won for A Series of Unfortunate Events and was nominated for two others. And I absolutely forgot this was an Oscar-nominated movie. But one was Foxcatcher and the other was Click. No. (laughs) This movie is not coming back to the pod. We have to cover it on AD. (laughs) I saw it. I was like, wait, excuse me? (laughs) What? Now I understand that is the reason for going through these nominees, actually, to remember <laughs> yeah. that Click was an Oscar nominee. Uh, maybe my love for it is vindicated. Am I vindicated now? We'll discuss that at another time. <laughs> <laughs> Zoltan Elek won for Mask. Kevin Haney won for Driving Miss Daisy. Joel Harlow won for Star Trek, was nominated for three others. Kazuhiro was the sculptor designer as well as a makeup artist on this movie, but he won for Darkest Hour and Bombshell and was nominated for two others. And Kazuhiro, soon to be, not to jinx it, but three-time winner with Maestro this year. Amazing. I knew that name looked familiar. Yeah, he's been out and doing Q&As and 
campaigning with that team and the makeup work is a huge showcase for that film mm-hmm. amazing and then steve laporte won for beetlejuice v neil won three oscars for beetlejuice mrs doubtfire and ed wood and was nominated for five others greg nelson was nominated for dad Steve Prouty was nominated for Jackass Presents, Bad Grandpa. Mike Smithson was nominated for Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me. (laughs) Richard Snell nominated for Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country. And then just a few more in the crew, we had Christian Tinsley was nominated for The Passion of the Christ, but he's also important. He won a technical award in 2008 for creating the Tinsley transfers, which are these like realistic temporary tattoo like prosthetics that are all over Halloween stores but that people use in movies all the time and he was the one to do it and then Scott Hecker the supervising sound editor was nominated for sound editing for Road to Perdition Chris Jenkins the re-recording mixer won three Oscars for Out of Africa The Last of the Mohicans and Mad Max Fury Road and was nominated for two others And then last but not least, we had Frank A. Montano, the re-recording mixer, nominated for nine Oscars in sound and sound mixing. So I think just a crazy list, but yeah, just the filmographies of everybody, kind of really cool to see the reaches of Hollywood and how everybody came together on this remake, this movie about the Grinch. Yeah, I think one of the things that we've always tried to do, I think throughout the run of our show so far, is cover these artisans in below the line categories and it's fun I think that we're getting to the point now three years in where whether it's you know someone who has been mentioned on an after dark episode like Mrs. Doubtfire for instance or just a person whose name comes up season to season that I think a lot of people who watch the Oscars and even the way that we think about award season sometimes you think about the big names you don't think about the names that are associated with some of these categories but yeah I think it's so important to actually take the time and go through and recognize the people who are behind contributions like this. And for this movie in particular, the makeup work is actually a crazy undertaking. And the just the amount of makeup work in the movie. I mean, every single character, aside from one important character who we'll go into, has some form of prosthetic. Well, I mean, actually excluding Max, the dog, of course, but... All of the characters, I mean, everyone in Whoville is completely made up. And the fact that I think you read through all those names shows what a massive undertaking it was, not just to design that suit the Jim Carrey wore, but all of the faces that we see in Whoville throughout the movie. Yeah, our Oscar contenders coming up shortly. We will be covering as many artists and cast and crew members on that as well. So I'm excited for that in a month or two. Oh my gosh. Oh, so soon. (laughs) So you alluded to the fact that you didn't really grow up with this version. Did you see it and hate it when you were young? Or were you too old at the time? Why didn't you really grow up with this or like this one? So I think there are a couple of reasons. But it was interesting because, you know, I was just home for Thanksgiving. And I was talking to my family about this movie and everything. And, you know, I think when you're, like I said, when you're seven years old, you're somewhat young right to be able to have firm opinions on films yet like that doesn't happen for you for a while but my parents had very strong opinions about this movie and they really really didn't like it 
And I remember not liking it either. Like, we went to go see it as a family when it came out because How the Grinch Stole Christmas, the 1966 short, had already been, like, a big part of my life. It was something we watched every year. And this, at the time, and I'll get to how I felt about it on rewatch, but at the time, just it didn't measure up for us um, to that. And, you know, sure, some of that was my parents' influence, them not liking it, and because they didn't like it, and my sister and I didn't really care for it either, it just never became a holiday viewing staple for us because we had the 66 version and that was our definitive Grinch. And it was funny because I, in talking to my family again about this, my sister who has been on this show before, but she would have only been four years old when she saw this, but she said that she remembered, she had a clear memory of this being the first movie that she didn't like (laughs) that she saw in theaters. So I think we all just had this negative reaction to it. And the first thing that I think of when I think of this movie and why I didn't like it is the look of it. It just has a very unappealing look to it. It takes away the beauty and the magical quality of Christmas. And actually, I think, makes it it appear very muddled and almost dirty. Like the reds and the greens aren't magical anymore. They're very harsh. And that's something that I think I really remembered from the movie. The, maybe the only thing, really. And then on this rewatch, I couldn't, I really just couldn't get past that. I think that the the cinematography, unfortunately, really hurts this film and takes away any of that holiday cheer. This is a movie I think that's actually very dark. And the humor, I just, I, I don't like... It's that kind of early 2000s, like, cheap bathroom humor that just, like, doesn't work for me. And I don't need an origin story of this character. I think that's another thing. Like, I don't really like backstories or that kind of Disney origin story approach to characters that I find are just compelling enough without it. Like, someone like the Grinch doesn't need... We don't need to know that he was bullied. That just feels like... Lazy storytelling that's tacked on to this movie to make it longer and more frustrating. But I also, again, am coming at this as someone who watched this for the second time yesterday. And I completely understand why people like this movie who grew up with it, right? Like, if you're, if this is something that you've watched every single year, I understand, like, why it would hold a special place in your heart. And I know in, you know, talking to people who did grow up at the same time as us who do really love it. Over the years, it's been one where friends of mine have been like, what are you talking about? You don't like that? And I'm like, no, I, I, I really have never had any urge to rewatch it until now, I suppose. So yeah, it's it's just, it's not a film for me. And I think, again, it was probably hurt by the fact that it's just never been one that I've returned to. And now as an adult, it's just kind of lost on me. But you mentioned that it's one of your favorites and one that you watch every year. So I'm curious, like, how that came about for you. When did you first see it? What do you really like about it? Well, I never always liked it. I think when it came out, I don't know if I saw it in the theater, but I remember that we had, like, the white-cased DVD at home, and I may have hated it. I really didn't like it, but Mm -hmm. coming back to it a few years ago, I kind of embraced the camp of everything, of the performances and the makeup, and the design and I think how fun the script was and certain things that happen in it 
I think just felt like the magical Christmas spirit. So I think it's a fun rewatch. It's not a serious one. It's not, Mm-mm. you know, one of the best Christmas movies ever. It's just like a fun, cozy time with this story that everybody knows. And I think Ron Howard directing it and Jim Carrey being in it are a big reason why this works because of who they are as filmmakers and an actor. You know, there are other versions of this that could have happened. Tim Burton was tied to it, but then couldn't do it. I was going to ask you about that, if you would have preferred the Tim Burton version, because for me, when I heard that, I thought, oh my gosh, that actually could have worked, mainly because I think that his interest in the world, I just would have liked to see that. And I love A Nightmare Before Christmas, which he, of course, didn't direct, but he was sort of one of the creative minds behind it mm-hmm. so it was i was curious what you thought about that with tim burton over ron howard because ron howard for me he's not a name that screams great film going experience yeah but i think that's why it works for me you know tim burton i also love nightmare before christmas i kind mm-hmm. of want that as its own thing and he also did edward scissorhands but i never really watched that as a christmas movie even though it has some of those elements so i'm kind of glad he didn't do this movie it also would have been way darker and a little bit more mysterious but i love that ron howard has this like syrupy sweet family oriented directing that i think works for what the grinch needed to be and i do kind of agree about the colors and things looking muted and probably some of that is the difficulty they had with making the grinch pop and not look like this neon green person who was just like disgusting to the eye on screen. And that's something that the original, the 66 version, does so well, or those colors pop everywhere. And then the Grinch is just slightly more muted, like more of a real green. And I think that's how he sticks out. It's almost hard to distinguish layers in that version. It's also like 2D animation, and I think it works on a different level than this does. And I also agree, you know, some of the backstory I not necessarily fast forward through, but kind of just let happen because it's a little uh-huh. too much. Like when he's a kid and. Oh, my God. And then like when he wears the bag over his head in the class. Yeah. I'm like, oh, this is and so. And the shaving and. Yeah. Like it's it's cute. <laughs> I get it. You know, the the coming in as a baby in this in the story on the basket in the storm. It's really syrupy. But I think some of that works in explaining why he hates everybody and his relationship with Martha May Huvier. Love that name. Um, I love her. She is the yeah. delight of the movie for me. Well, it's, yeah, Christine Baranski and Molly Shannon. Molly doesn't have as much to do here, but she still has a couple funny moments, namely when they're putting up the lights and those two are kind of facing off. I like that moment a lot. But yeah, the relationship between Martha May and the Grinch, it's added. I think I like it. I'm not against it. But obviously in the 66 version, the Grinch is his own person and he's just one with the Who's. So I think let's get into some questions. We can talk more about the movie and some quotes and some other people attached to the movie. So first off, why do you think multiple people from the movie signed on? So Ron Howard, Jim Carrey, maybe any of the other actors, if you feel a certain way about them. Yeah. So I I read a little bit about this with the production. And what I thought was interesting was around the Dr. Seuss estate. So 
the refusal to sell any of the film rights and everything like that that he had before he died. But his wife, after he died, agreed to multiple deals. And later on, I think, so a few years before this movie came out, she auctioned off the film rights of How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And there were all of these stipulations within it. And two interesting things that I read from this, the first one, that the actor who played the Grinch had to be of comparable stature to Jack Nicholson, Jim Carrey, Robin Williams, and Dustin Hoffman. I am trying to imagine some of these actors playing the Grinch and what the vibe Mm -hmm. would have been like. I think Jim Carrey was the right choice here, especially of the names that are listed. And then the other thing was that the estate would not consider a director who had not earned at least a million dollars on a previous film before. So basically they wanted it to make money back and they wanted the actor who played the Grinch to be Someone significant, I would say, in the film world and in comedy in particular. So thinking about Robin Williams, uh, I don't I don't really think that would have turned out very well. But I think that his name, like hearing it, makes sense, right? Considering some of the other roles that he'd done before, the voice work. But yeah, I think, I think Jim Carrey is the right choice. And I think that this film really shows, it's, it's a perfect example of the rights coming up to something and just wanting to take it and run with it because it is a really key property and the story itself is so well known and beloved around Christmas time in particular. So I get it, but I don't think it should have happened. I also heard that Eddie Murphy was another possible pick for the Grinch apart from Jack Nicholson, which I think either of those are just I mean, Eddie Murphy, we got all of those, like, Norbit, where he's in prosthetics the whole time. We have a whole, like, saga of those. But Jack Nicholson, where did that come from? I mean, at this point, too, I mean, in 2000, Jack Nicholson, he would have been in his 60s. So he's a little, he was he's kind of old for the part, too, but I think... In terms of like that line that's in the in the letter that says comparable stature. So mm-hmm. someone I think who right has that kind of that personality that Jack Nicholson has and the acting ability. So they didn't want this, I think, to just be like, I don't know what would happen in 2023, which the part would inevitably go to Ryan Reynolds. Ugh. They want it. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? God. That's totally Yeah, I mean, uh, (laughs) when they were talking about remaking Clue, one of my absolute favorites, and Ryan Reynolds was attached, and I'm like, please don't. Please scrap it. I I don't (laughs) want that. Yeah, we can't have that. Or like a Taika remake of this or that. Like, oh, God. God, no. (laughs) No, no, no. products everywhere. (laughs) I think another big thing is that the early 2000s, the late 90s, we start getting all these remakes. We have mm-hmm. The Mummy, we have Psycho being redone even, 101 Dalmatians, The Parent Trap. Later on, we get Ocean's Eleven the following year, Freaky Friday. So like all of these start happening. And I think maybe that was like, let's do The Grinch. It's beloved. Holiday movies do really well at the box office, mostly. Like, why not? And I think with these big names attached, it really works. And they really took it that extra mile that it needed to go. And I'm glad we got some of these performances out of these actors. I mean, even Taylor Momsen, who was in second grade, like first or second grade, 
And I think she does a phenomenal job too as a child actress singing and having to act up against Jim Carrey, who at even this moment is a huge A-lister. Did you ever watch Gossip Girl? No. Was she oh my in God. that? Yeah, she's poor little Jay, Jenny Humphrey. And she's Taylor Momsen. Wow. The the hard pivot from sweet Cindy Lou Who in How the Grinch Stole Christmas to early Gossip Girl, where she was like a very preppy, Upper East Side girl trying to climb the social ladder at Constance to this very punk rock girl where she was yeah. wearing so much eyeliner and she was in her her band, The Pretty Reckless. I know too much about Taylor Momsen somehow. It's all just, it's all because of Gossip Girl and how many times I've, I've watched Gossip Girl. But I agree. I think she is good in this. And I think that she, so she's one of the characters I mentioned at the beginning who didn't wear prosthetics. Like that is just her little cute who face. Oh, really? Yeah. Not even the nose? Mm-mm. Oh my god. Because they all have this like little Rudolph kind of bubble on their on the tip of their nose. Mm-hmm. No, that's like just her face. They almost let Christine Baranski keep her regular nose, but they added a little bit to it. <laughs> Fun facts about prosthetic noses. Sponsored uh-huh. by Maestro. <laughs> <laughs> okay, are we ready? Yes. Let's do it. The part I've been waiting for part that i've been waiting for (laughs) (laughs) say three nice things about the movie do you want to go first i mean you have many i'm sure i think the dialogue is really good it's funny to a point where they can still ad-lib a lot of what jim carrey said certain lines or scenes that stick out from this movie were ad-libbed but whether it's that or on the page i think the dialogue works in the movie compared to the Susian language and cadence that we get from the book or from the original. Wait, you think this is better? No, but I it translates well enough. Okay. Um, My first nice thing I will say about this movie, I did really have to stretch here, but that's okay. I think that Rita Ryak's costume designs are impeccable. I love the work with the costumes. Specifically, Christine Bransky's costumes as Martha May Huvier. I love her, her outfits. Every single ensemble that she has, I think that they're, they are fabulous. And I think that the costumes really, it's, it's kind of unfortunate for me that the cinematography and the overall look of the film is the way that it is because the costume designs, they have that like magical fantasy quality to them that you would expect from this movie and they're just like very very creative you have all this knitwear you have these much more i would say like over the top like ruffles and collars and this one like night dress that she has i feel like she has the perfect look for a drag queen i think that you could (laughs) totally use everything that she wears for a drag race competition really i think it's great I also love the costume design. It was nominated. I think those are just inspired choices that, again, is a reason why this movie works. I think my second thing I would say is during the hubilation, which is a new thing that was added from the original work. But I think getting to see the Grinch come back to the town and give them another chance and then 
see him actually have fun with these people. And I love like when they're stuffing his face with all their different foods and he runs the little sack race and like pushes the people over. But he's like so excited to be there and to win and to be given this prize. So I think that was a magical addition to the story that still really fit in with what how the Grinch stole Christmas originally was. I will say for my second nice thing that Where Are You Christmas is a good song in the movie. And I like how it's incorporated. It's cute. So that was one of my questions for you is do you think this should have been nominated? <laughs> as an I was surprised song? that it wasn't. I fully thought that it would have been just mm-hmm. based on how popular it's become and how it's been covered by many people over the years. I mean, Faith Hill. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of surprised that it wasn't. And I feel like I would have put it in. The fact that A Fool in Love from Meet the Parents was nominated this year. Like yeah. what? Like this movie is getting three nominations and not from original song. I yeah. I think growing up, I was conflicted if I liked it or not because I also had the soundtrack to this movie. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and I would skip quite a few of them, but I feel like I would listen to Where Are You Christmas? And again, it features Taylor Momsen, but it's sung by Faith Hill and like the official version. And I think it it would have made a great nominee. This year we had Things Have Changed from the Wonder Boys, that one. I've never seen that. Have you? No, I haven't. I've seen it all from Dancer in the Dark by Bjork. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) A Love Before Time from Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And My Funny Friend and Me from The Emperor's New Groove. Wow. I forgot that that movie came out then. A crazy, crazy list. Yeah. I also forgot that Bob Dylan has an original song Oscar for, for Things him. Have Changed. But yeah, I think, I don't know. It is it is kind of surprising that this didn't happen, considering that the movie got into other categories. So that was a preview of our Holiday After Dark episode. If you'd like to hear the rest of the episode and our review of The Family Stone, Go to patreon.com slash Oscar Wilde and subscribe at the After Dark tier or higher. We appreciate your support and thank you for listening. We will see you next time. Mm-hmm.